Hi, it's Leon Dolan, and my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical, is out now and available everywhere. People Magazine chose it as an April pick of the month, one of the best this week, a hopeful take on commitment, they said, and an innovative story about marriage. Mmm, sounds juicy. The Marriage Sabbatical, out now, available everywhere. You're listening to Satellite Sisters. What's a Satellite Sister? The person you call when the best thing in your life happens or the worst. The person that gets you up, gets you going, and gets you through. And every once in a while, changes your mind. This podcast is part pep talk, part weekly check-in. Like grabbing coffee with a friend. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Satellite Sisterhood. We are the Satellite Sisters. I'm Liz Dolan. I'm an on-again, off-again corporate executive, a podcaster, and I live in Santa Monica with my little dog, Hooper. I'm Leanne Dolan. I'm a writer and producer. I live in Pasadena, California. I have two sons, a dog, and a husband. I'm Julie Dolan. I'm an urban nana, an empty nester, a former university administrator. I live in Dallas, Texas, but I've lived all over the world. And this is a very special show today. It's an Ask Us Anything episode. You know, remember, sisters, we used to call these our Summer Splash episodes. Yeah. <laughs> like, back in the day, we, we had a special name for everything. Summer Splash. We would do all the, like, fun, special things during summer. So that's what we're going to do here today. It's Ask Us Anything. Thank you to everyone who listens to our show. And we are grateful to all of the new listeners because we know we have many, many over the last year or so. And for those of you who have stuck by from the very beginning. Uh, so thank you so much for that. We, uh, we love the Satellite Sisterhood and Misterhood. Uh, and thank you for sending in these questions. These were all sent to us in the Satellite Sisters Facebook group. There were more than 100 there. We're not going to get to all of them, but we are trying to get to the ones we thought were uh, the most fun, the most interesting. Right. <laughs> and, that and we just we, we so appreciate appreciate the way everyone participates so positively on social media. Mm -hmm. I mean, we love it that you responded to these questions. We love it when you listen to the show, when you write comments. And we love it a lot when you share the show uh, with your satellite sisters and your friends. That's such a nice thing. Thank you so much. We also appreciate that you've supported the Satellite Sister store mm -hmm. and the books that we've written and the live events that we've done. You keep showing up at things, <laughs> even if it's just like a beer in some yeah, random bar. Yeah, meet us in a bar. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. You're there for us. We really, really appreciate it. And we want to thank you sincerely for supporting the people that support us. We are going to talk about the production of the show and how we get everything done. But we do have a really healthy group of sponsors, and that is because you, Satellite Sisterhood, are fantastic about supporting those sponsors. Yes. It's, uh, it's, Our it's, sponsors just sometimes can't believe. They how, can't like, believe it. How so, wildly enthusiastic your reactions are, and we love that. So keep it up. I mean, we do... We try hard to find good sponsors and, and, and pick products that we believe you'll believe in. Yes. But we got a lot of believers, and I like <laughs> it. So thank you, Satellite Sisterhood. And, you know, there are two other specific shows that provide a lot of our history. And we have re-released those earlier this month. One is our book launch event. That happened in Brooklyn, New York on November 7th, 2015. And that was for the release of You're the Best, A Celebration of Friendship, our book. And that show is special because it also includes the Satellite Sisters Next Gen. So you'll hear from our nieces, daughters-in-law, etc. on that show. And we also cover a lot of the family history kind of stories. So some of the ones, some of the 
questions we're not answering today, it's because you can hear it in the Brooklyn uh, show. So that's November 7th, 2015, but also we released earlier this month. Then we did an Ask Us Anything event in Santa Monica on May 11th, 2017. You can listen to that. More deep dive into, I don't know, there was some hilarity there. There's dating in that. There's some early days of the radio show in that. There is the follow-up to Kitty. I don't know why (laughs) cats continue to fascinate. But Cats rule for a lot of people, Leanne. You know that. Monica and Sheila were in that show. So some of the questions that people asked, we have already answered in that show. It's worth a re-listen if you're a new listener to Satellite Sisters. Yeah. So we are going to start with something totally fresh, something new, something very timely, like in the moment. Thank you, Jennifer, for this question. Her question is, what is saving your life right now? Serious or silly, what makes your day? So, Leah, you go first. Okay. A couple of years ago, I figured out, you know, going through a lot of stressful things, trying to fit my work life together, working out of the house. So there are two things I do regularly that I don't feel bad about, that I'm committed to, that keep me sane. The first is yoga. Been mm-hmm. a yoga pr- practitioner for a long time. Decades. Yeah, decades. And I mm-hmm. just since college. And I just stick to that routine. Sometimes I go to the hard classes. Sometimes I go to the easy classes. It doesn't matter. Keeps me sane. I do love my yoga. And the second, because I work alone in a home, like with only a dog, uh, I can spend 14, 15 hours a day by myself. Mm -hmm. That's not a great idea. You know, I mean, I don't talk. (laughs) You're really talking to yourself a lot. (laughs) A lot. I'm mainly talking to the dog. So I, you know, about six or seven years ago, when I started writing and podcasting out of the house all the time, I really committed to like walking with a friend three or four days a week. Mm -hmm. So almost three or four days a week, instead of going out to lunch or coffee, like I don't do that. I don't have time for that. But if someone, (laughs) sorry, friends, but if someone wants to meet me for a walk and talk, that, that I Walk do. and talk. Walk and, and talk. And that has really kept me connected to my friends and absolutely keeps me sane. So those are those are the two things I do. They're both physical, but they're also mental. Okay. Julie? I would, on the serious, the big thing I would have to say that keeps me sane is prayer. I, I uh, do it every day. It's very important to me. And uh, I like to start and end my day that way. Can I just and say this, I did not know that about you? That's nice. Well, That's see, nice. it's good that we have this show, yes. you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And maybe you should go back and listen to those other two shows. <laughs> okay. So on the lighter thing, um, something that I've I've talked about in previous shows, but for me, it's tennis. Uh, I it, it strikes all the right balances for me. It is a challenge physically to play tennis. It is a challenge mentally to be sharp enough to play in matches. And it also provides a social component. I love, I'm on a tennis team. We play in a league here in Dallas. And uh, these women are my satellite sisters. Uh, and I just love playing with them. Uh, and um, it's, it's been a great outlet for me. Okay. Uh, so this is Liz. And I would say that um, Operation Sea Turtle is not an accident, Jennifer. I think I, the reason I like recommitted in such a big way to my health and wellness program is I just thought overall I needed to kind of step away from a lot of the insanity of daily life. And I particularly am attracted to the activities that have me underwater. 
So where there's no possibility that you're also going to be reading your Twitter feed, right? <laughs> right. That you're not like out for a walk, but also just checking, listening to news all the time. But Operation Sea Turtle, I, I knew that I had those last few years and the job that I left a couple years ago were physically very hard on me. That was so much travel. And I had just totally let myself go. And I know that I'm at kind of that turning point in your life where how you treat your body and your mind uh, is going to make the essential difference in whether you grow old well or grow old poorly. And I do not want to be a sick old person. So Operation Sea Turtle is saving my life right now. And on the silly side, it's not only just that I adopted another dog, Hooper, but he's kind of a silly dog. You know, I purposely was attracted to a dog with a happy, peppy, silly personality. And one thing I've learned in the dog training classes that I went to is that talking to my dog is something, you know, and you have to do that when you're in dog training, mm-hmm. like stop, go, all that. Like it feels incredibly uncomfortable for me to talk to my dog. <laughs> I don't feel like Liz, I did not know that about yes. you. Yeah, I just feel so silly when I'm talking to my dog. And I've realized that that's a good thing. Just having a, a verbal relationship with your with the little creature in your house is actually just a good silly thing. You can't take everything so seriously. So that has all been very helpful to me, Jennifer. So thank you for that question. Uh, Next up from Casey, there was a question. As incredibly accomplished people in both your professional and personal lives, what organizational systems do you use? I have a hard time getting stuck doing unimportant little tasks instead of projects that matter. What is one tip each of you could give on staying focused on what is important when you are swimming in an ocean of things that might seem important but are not? Leanne? Okay, Casey, I am going to just repeat something that a writing teacher once said to me when I sat down to write my first novel. It was in 2009, and that seemed like a huge task. And one of the things I did, because I believe in sort of public humiliation as a motivator, (laughs) is sign up for an online writing class. And the writing teacher there in our online forum said, you have to give up something to finish a, a novel. And she oh, said, really? so yeah, that, you know, you, you can't really do everything. And then on top of that, write a novel. And to me, that was like permission to not do some stuff. And every year it kind of changes. But when I'm working on a big project, like, yeah, something goes. Sometimes it's volunteer work. You know what? You take a sabbatical, sabbatical from volunteer work. It's still going to be there a year later. So you don't have to feel bad about that. We never really signed our kids up for a ton of extracurricular activities because we just didn't want to have all that extra pressure. My husband and I both worked on the weekend. You know, I'm never going to get to the end of my life and go, oh, God, on my deathbed, I wish my house were cleaner. (laughs) Like, that is just so not me. So I don't really stress about that stuff. Just let it go. Yeah. So when I'm in the middle of a project, like, I just give myself permission to let something go so that I can get it done. It's it works wonders for me. All right, Julie, how about you? Casey, this is really old school, but I watched our mother do this growing up. Uh, She used to organize a Thanksgiving dinner for 65 people on the back of an envelope. (laughs) And because and because of that, I every day old school take out a piece of paper and and a pen and I make my list for the day and I make a list. I write it down. I think think, you know, writing is thinking and I make a commitment to accomplish things. And I don't put things on the list that I don't, you know, uh, that I, I don't think I can accomplish, you know. And I always try to do first things first. So wow. 
first very old first. school, but Classic. that's the way I roll. Okay, Casey. I remember a guest we had on Satellite Sisters way, way back in the day. This might have been like 2003 when we were on public radio. And his name was Virgo Man. And he was oh, a, yeah. remember Virgo Man? I remember sisters? him, yeah. He was a Buddhist monk and professional organizer. And uh, one thing I learned from Virgo Man, he said, buying more baskets will not make you a more organized person. Remember he's that? Yes. Like, it, just, was, it was Yeah, breakthrough. that was really cut to the quick. Yes. Yeah, that was my organizational strategy at the time. Too. Yes, buying yeah. stuff to put stuff in. Mm, that doesn't change who you are as a person. And so I would take that on the metaphoric level, Casey, not the literal baskets, but just constantly trying to move things around. So uh, like, I try to keep that in my mind, that there's no one tool that actually is going to dramatically change me, change me from a relatively disorganized person to a hyper-organized person. Um, and I would also say the hardest transition from corporate life to freelance life, so the transition I've gone through over the last couple of years, is that in corporate life, you show up and things just start. It's like you're pulling onto the freeway and the traffic is moving. It's pre-planned meetings, it's calls, it's shared deadlines. So even if you're the boss, there's a certain forward momentum that just happens from being at work. And now my life requires a lot more thought. And I'm not especially good at it yet. It's been a couple of years. And I waste a lot of time, <laughs> a lot of time, Casey. So, you know, social media is a time suck. Uh, I need to learn to step away from my phone more. I'm a dawdler. So it's easy to just like, I don't know, BS around in the morning and not get down to business until the afternoon. And I'm trying to train myself not to do that. So I would say that the sort of though, I don't have one tip for you. I just know that for me, this is a process and there's been constant change in my life about how I've really addressed being productive in a day. But yeah, turning off the phone, I know that's, that's the new school. And uh, I recommend that. All right. Next up, do-overs. Christine asked, if there were one thing you wish you could go back and do over in your life, positive because it was so great, or negative because it wasn't, what would it be? Uh, Leon? Okay, I-, I would just have not given up on my dream of being an Olympic figure skater. You know, <laughs> just let that go so quickly after Dorothy Hamill returned home from the Olympics. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got the haircut, Liz, but the rest of the oh, follow through yeah. was no. not strong. So I would have given that a go. Uh, no, seriously, and I don't mean to, you know, push this question off. I I am not a regretful person. Mm-hmm. I kind of have the philosophy that. Whatever I did, I did for a reason, and it all added up to where I am now. Yeah. So, like, there are moments that I think back, like, that was a spectacular period of my time, of my life. Like, I'm actually really glad I quit my first corporate job and became a ski bum for two mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I could never recreate that, but that was a fantastic decision. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm really glad I did it. I feel like it changed the course of my life for those reasons. And, you know, the same thing, like... Marrying my husband after knowing each other for 17 days. That's, that's <laughs> fo- a foolish that really decision. out for you. But if, so far, so good. So yeah. far, so good. And if it hadn't, I'm sure there would have been a life lesson in that, too. So there's nothing I would really do over again. I would do a few things a little bit better than I did if I had the chance, but not do over. Because I feel like it's all added up to where I am now. Okay, Julie, how about you? You know, I love my family, and if I could do anything over again, I'd have more kids. Uh, that's, oh, really? uh, that's something I probably, you know, I'm surprised I'm saying, but that's, 
that's the truth. I love my sons. I love my grandchildren. I love like the family unit. Uh, and so if I could have more, it would be great. Uh, so that's what I say. Okay, more surprises from Julie Dolan. You really put some thought into this episode. I know. <laughs> we are learning so much here. Okay, nice I'll, just, I'll just say this. I would put in uh, more time before plunging into my work life. It's sort of what Leanne did when Leanne was like sleeping on my living room couch, working that first corporate job, and she quit to move to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I was like, why didn't I do that when Leon, when I was Leon's age? You got to do those things young, whether yeah. it's like the gap year before you start college or, you know, a little bit of time exploring the world after you get out of college. There's just a lot of pressure on you, like financially and professionally to quickly move into your life. And I, you know, like you really don't have to do that. And, and our, well, you were the one that said that when I moved to Jackson. You and don't become me. Don't, no, yeah, don't do it. Do it now. I mean, I yes. paid for everything. Let's be clear. I may yes. actually made more money as a cocktail waitress in Wyoming than working in advertising in New York. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And remember, our mom always used to say, "You know what that kid needs to do? That kid should just get on a tramp steamer and go around the world." <laughs> right? Oh, she did. <laughs> she. Yeah. She would say that about she used the, the, the tramp steamer. That, that it was always a tramp steamer, whatever that is. But anytime she saw a troubled teenager, she just felt or someone that had no vision for their life. The tramp steamer was the solution. So I wish I had done a little bit more tramp steamer time earlier in my career. But I made up for that later in my career by stepping in and out of conventional work multiple times, like quitting corporate jobs to go do my own thing. I've gone through that um, change twice. So. Mm, that that would be my not necessarily a do-over but really embracing those moments where you can go explore always more of that always more 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 excellent all right we are going to get to a lot of the production questions and the background questions about satellite sisters in the next block but those were very thoughtful good questions it was fun to pick those uh thank you again for asking them okay now we're back and in this segment we want to answer as many of your questions as we can that are about Satellite Sisters, our history, our production process. You have a lot of questions about how we do what we do, why we do what we do. Leanne? Okay, so first I want to refer you to two books. Okay, we have written two complete books. Yes. And so a lot of things are answered in there about family and things like that. So you're going to want to look for You're the Best or Satellite Sisters Uncommon Senses. You can go to Amazon.com or you can go to our website to find out about those two books. But that gives you a lot of family background, story about how we started the radio shows in there in our own words, uh, memories from the early show, memories of families. And we have a giant archive on our website if you want to listen to old shows. I mean, Mm -hmm. people do, Liz. They dig We have almost 800 shows posted. (laughs) And that doesn't even, like, there are a lot of the way old radio shows that are not there. But anything in the last 10 years is posted at SatelliteSisters.com. You'll see in our audio archive. All right, so we're just going to, give you a history of how we started the show and sort of how we do the daily show because we had so many questions about this. But this is this is the short version uh, of it because we have been doing this essentially since 1999, mm-hmm. which is a long time when you think about it. I was a millennium ago. I know. But um, remember that, Jewel? Remember the previous millennium when we started this? I know. We were worried about that Y2K thing. Okay, (laughs) carry carry on. So it was Liz's idea to actually start the radio show, okay? And she lured us all to Calistoga, California for a sister's weekend 
to pitch us this idea because she thought, how come there isn't anything on the radio that sounds like my sisters and I or my friends and I when we talk, that you can talk about a variety of subjects, that you can go from the serious to the silly. You can talk about politics and you can talk about the film you just saw and you can talk about a parenting issue in a single one-hour conversation. Why doesn't that show exist? And gee, why don't we, the Dolan sisters with no radio experience, do that show? And so Liz lured us to Calistoga, California, which was home to a bunch of old moldy mud baths. She said it was a spa. It wasn't. But I was trying to wean my first son, so I went. Sheila had just gotten divorced, so she came. I don't, Julie, I don't know what your impetus was, but wasn't your husband suspicious that it was just an excuse? Well, it was the first time we had all been together as sisters, as adult sisters, by ourselves, without our husbands or mm-hmm. or partners or whatever. So that was a strange experience, right. just the five of us. Right. Yeah. It was strange that we were sitting in a small hotel room, like cooking up a radio show, and we still have the archival documents to prove it, what kind mm-hmm. of segments we would want to do, what the show would sound like, who we might want to interview. Um But that's what Liz forced us to do. And then we all went home and we didn't do anything for a year. We're all fired up, ready to go. Nothing. Right. And then Liz quit her job at Nike when she turned 40. And that's when the rest of us knew we were really in trouble. We were going to have to get serious. And that we did. So this is the super speedy version. Like we put together a pitch document because I had done some of that in, you know, screenwriting and working in the film business. You know, we went to San Francisco. We pitched the one person we knew in radio, a woman in public radio. They bought the show. It shocked us. We were we were howling. We couldn't believe it <laughs> on the way home. But then they dropped the other shoe. Oh, you have to go raise all the money to do your first season, which in public radio is quite a bit of money. So then we had to like start a company, which we called Mud Bath Productions that after the Calistoga weekend, we raised all our own money. For the, we did, we did, the sisters, for uh-huh. the first week. Which was amazing. We managed to catch the wave of the dot-com era. So there were a lot of people throwing money <laughs> at ridiculous projects. So we just got in line, right? Right. Yeah. And many of our sponsors were uh, out of business before the show actually aired. But yes. we went. Remember women.com? They were our <laughs> yes. original sponsor. Thank you, women.com, for supporting Satellite Sisters. <laughs> uh, the show went on the air on public radio on about five or six stations in the beginning mm-hmm. on April 1st, 2000. 2000. 2000. Mm-hmm. And then we expanded to about 50 public radio stations. We moved to ABC in 2003. It was a one-hour weekly show on public radio. It became a three-hour live show on ABC, which is a completely different animal. Three-hour live daily show. Well, six I'm getting to that list. Oh, yeah, oh, right, right. We started with yes. one, okay, and right. then we you're went right. to six. Uh-huh. And so eventually we were on six days a week live, 18 hours of radio a day, at which point you will say anything by Friday, <laughs> which explains the lab rats and many, and many of the segments that the Friday JV team did. Uh, and and then in 2008, uh, um, Disney, our parent company, sold off the radio division and we found ourselves without a home. And we couldn't believe it. We were an award-winning, profitable, money-making show uh, and we could not get another distributor. And so for a year, we self-produced the show and self-funded it. Uh, and then we had to sort of face facts that you know, maybe this worldwide financial crisis, along with the media meltdown and a hostile radio climate, wasn't really the best. <laughs> we were really going to get another gig. <laughs> so people went off and did their own jobs. Uh, they went back to their real lives. Mm-hmm. And um, 
And that was sad, you know? Yeah, you know, Jennifer asked specifically about this time in our lives. Jennifer wrote, was there ever a point where you all wanted to or thought about hanging up the microphone, like after your ABC days, after satellite radio, were you ever tempted to just say, we're out? And what made you come back and which which sister spearheaded the comeback? So I would say, Jennifer, that Leon as an individual, as a solo act, and then Leon and Julie as a combo engineered the comeback. Yeah. yeah, we were just we ke- we were keeping hope alive there during those dark years, Lee and you and I just we were you know we said we're just going to put this out here where we don't know how many people are going to listen. People don't even know what these po- what podcasts are, but we're just going to do it and we're going to see what happens. And we just kept doing it, right? Yeah, you know we I I went took my iMac to the you know to the Apple store and I said can you show me how to use GarageBand I think I want to do a podcast and this was in 2009 so um uh, and it's shocking and unbelievable that you know technology progressed fast enough that we could actually do that and produce the show on our own and uh right at first we were just sort of cobbling together old shows and reposting shows and keeping the website alive and then occasionally people would show up in my closet <laughs> like Liz or Sheila and I'd interview them then Julie recommitted as the technology got easier and easier and we saw the podcast business growing we're like well but mainly I think it was because we still had something to say just mm-hmm. right. you know we started the show because we believed that women had something interesting to say and that didn't stop just because people weren't Paying us anymore. <laughs> right. That's that right. overconfidence again. And uh, so we started doing the Tuesday show. And then, you know, every once in a while we have to check in with people and go, are people still interested? Because it is a commitment. You know, yes. we do like to put on a good show. We work really hard at it. We were trained to be on six days a week uh, of live radio. We went through a lot of material. And that kind of work ethic still holds true, even if we're just doing one show. So for some sisters, the timing, the effort, the, you know, the day of the week, it just didn't work out. Sheila and Monica decided to step away on a regular basis Mm -hmm. because, you know, we work hard on the show and the expectations are high from ourselves first. And then and they have other jobs. Yeah. And they have other jobs. Liz, you would buzz in from around the world or an airport lounge in your other job. So uh, I tried to. Keep hope alive on my end. Also, you know, there was a big transition from being a um, a live daily radio show to being a once a week show. The thing about podcasts is that people listen weeks or months after you post it. So we also had to kind of relearn what should be in the show. How can we comment on things? So the headline news aspect that was very important in a live radio show is not useful in a podcast where many of you could hear this eight weeks after we actually record the show. So over time, the material we do, like how we approach even the news uh, aspects, that has all had to change. And it's actually been kind of fun to, to figure out how to do that in the most engaging possible way. Yeah, I mean, we take it pretty seriously. So we, um, you know, Every once in a while, we have listening sessions. We all listen back to the shows. We figure out what's working, what's not working. We come up with new rundowns and new philosophies just to sort of meet the way that people are listening to the show, to you know, meet the way that our our desires and what we talk about have changed and, and to be contemporary but to be engaging. And also to be conscious of the fact that every week we have new listeners. Yeah. So, yes. you know, we so they don't know all the backstories. Yeah. 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 So, Julie, you now, know, Lu- Julie Luann specifically asked the question, how do you prepare for each week's podcast? Can you give a, a brief recap? So do you want to yeah, talk Lu- about the production yeah. process and timeline? Yeah. 
Sure. You know, Luann, the way we do it is, number one, we're always in production. I would have to say for Liz, Leanne, and myself, you know, every day of the week, all day long, we're thinking about thinking or reading about what might be good on the show. And, you know, everybody has their own system for how they collect stories. This is from the media things they've experienced, because as you've listened to the show, you'll you'll know that we talk about our personal lives or, you know, what's going on with our week. So we're sort of collecting stuff as it goes on. And now I have to say we're pretty, we're, we've got a pretty good system where on the Monday of each week um, or the Sunday of each week, we are sending to each other a list of pitches, you know, a number of, sh- of uh, articles that we've read or an experience we want to talk about or an issue that's come up, and we will send that out to each other. And then we have a scheduled call on Monday where we develop a show rundown. And this is, we've look, we look at all the material we've, you know, each sister has recommended. We figure out a flow, like where should we start? Should we start with the news of the day? Should we start with something heavy, serious, or should we start with something lighter, something funnier, or somebody has an experience they wanna talk to about? And Leon in particular is pretty good at helping us slot and producing the show and figuring out, you know, the, what, what's going to be the best slow, uh, flow of the show. Um, also, some stories will make it, some stories won't. Uh, sometimes we, we all show up with the same mm-hmm. topic that we want to talk about. So that's fun. So we can put that together and we put together a show rundown. It is not a script. It's not word for word. But we have at least disclosed to each other the general direction that we want to take a topic, where we want to go with the story. You know, they can have looked at our links of what, you know, what we want. Um, but we would like to keep some of it not written so that it sounds fresh on the podcast. And now we come, Liz and Leon come to the Wondry Studios in Los Angeles, and they have the great help of Sergio to engineer the show. I'm still in my closet here in Dallas, but I'm feeling better about it because I know I'm <laughs> connected. Hey, this has to been a giant a re- upgrade. I mean, a yes. giant, I yes. can't even tell you. Having people. a studio and an yeah. engineer again. I had, yes. I had reached the end of my technical yeah. knowledge of GarageBand. <laughs> my iMac is about to give out. I was like, I'm done. I don't want to be a better audio engineer. <laughs> I don't. Of the many things that I do, that is the thing I am the worst at. So when we had the opportunity to move to Wondery, come to the studio and have Sergio's help, it was sort of a no brainer for me because I, yeah. I think I was I was at the bitter end. <laughs> Just connecting via Skype could be very stressful. Very right. stressful. So, and so you know anyway, Debbie that, Debbie asked this question. Oh, go ahead, finish Joel. No, no, that's it. That's the basic okay. process. Yep. So Debbie had a question about the kind of how the sibling relationship works into all of this. Like, what is the basic commitment that we have with each other to keep from fussing? Anyone want to dive okay, in on well, that? Julie? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, you know, I think something that from the very beginning, 18 years in, we have always said uh, our commitment is, first of all, we're sisters first. And then we're, you know, then we're co-workers second. 
So we always wanted to make decisions where we preserved our relationships as sisters. Um, we, you know, one of the things that I know that, uh, uh, that our mother just like beat into our brains, but it didn't really work. She used to say when we were all fighting and bickering, she'd say, can't you just try to be pleasant? <laughs> she knew we were not going to achieve pleasantness among, uh, among siblings, but she just wanted us to try. So Debbie, I would say that, you know, we all try every single week when we put together this show, when we work to uh, each other. I would never think of like, uh, you know, just showing up and not have done my work, you know, or, mm -hmm. you know, not be prepared. I mean, because we have to try. Sometimes we don't always agree. But again, we try to keep it pleasant. We also use suppressing and denying. We use the do not engage um, <laughs> phenomenon as well, you know, because we're real sisters. And so sometimes we have differences. So sometimes we have to step away. But I think there is this commitment to trying. You know, we still believe in the show, the spirit of the show. I will say there is one error that we made in sort of structuring our, you know, our work together. And that is that we decided always that whatever we were going to do, we were going to split it by five. So the denominator for anything <laughs> we make at Satellite Sisters is five. Yeah. And as a business model, that is not a good idea. Can no. I tell you that? Yeah. <laughs> like we're at the point, if one of us was keeping all the money, this would be a pretty good living. Yeah. Divided many ways, not so not much. Not so much, but that's okay. <laughs> you know, I wanted to pick up just one more thing on how we pick the stories we do, just because we did get a couple questions like, oh, how come you didn't do this story or how come you didn't do that story? And we talked a little bit about the transition from news to being a weekly show. Um, but also sometimes it's just straight up timing. Like, you know, you want to hear a story? We record Tuesday mornings. If that story breaks Tuesday afternoon, now we're a week out from that story. Yeah. And we come to the table and when we pitch it, every week we say, should we talk about this? Do we have a new take? Are we mm -hmm. just piling on to what everybody else has said for seven days? Do we have a new take? So I think as you listen to the stories and you try to figure out how we pick the news, that's one way we deal with the news. And, and the second one is we realize people are listening eight weeks from now. So yeah. what is a breaking news story today is not going to be a breaking news story when you actually listen to it. And show. I would also say it is super hard in this polarized political yeah. environment sometimes to navigate that. Yeah. Because things that we might have been able to just have kind of whimsical commentary about five years ago or ten years ago when we started and we were live – just doesn't feel quite so whimsical now. And so we let those things go because there's right. just there's no there's no point in kind of trivializing some of the things that are right. happening in the world. Right. It's not a punchline. Yeah. yeah. But you know what I was thinking about it when we were preparing for this, I was like, you know, we started the show when Bill Clinton was the president. We went through the Bush president. We went through a lot of presidencies, <laughs> a lot of big world events, yeah. you know, that rocked our world. 9-11, the global financial crisis, right. Iraq war. Iraq We've done war. a lot of uh, tough mm -hmm. topics. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we try to stay true to the issues that, we're, that we believe in, you mm -hmm. know, women and, and children, and, and not so much the people, the politics, and the policies. Right. That's kind of how we make that choice. You know, as long as we're talking about what we speak about, Leanne, can I ask you Susan's question? Sure. I would like to learn if any or all of you have had voice coaches and public speaking training. You all have mm -hmm. wonderful speaking voices with an interesting inflection, but it doesn't necessarily sound Connecticut. Mm. So we have a hilarious history <laughs> of voice training. Liz and I, I got some voice training, Susan. <laughs> I got that same training, too. 
Oh, oh yes. You would visit from Russia. Yes. Yes. I didn't I was there that. at the piano. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, when we switched from uh, public radio to ABC, the people at ABC, our boss, decided we needed a little actual training if we were going to be on six days a week. And believe me, we did. Because our first couple shows, live shows for ABC, we were just panic-stricken, deer in the headlight. Oh, my gosh, how are we going to make it to the commercial yeah. break? There's a certain strangulation in our voices that you can hear. Yes, so so we ended up going to a very famous voice coach in Los Angeles. He is a singing coach, Roger Love. But we had a certain number of lessons with Roger Love. And this is true. Liz and I would drive there, and we would go in and work with Roger after Wilson Phillips, okay? <laughs> Do you remember that? They were going. I had totally forgotten. They that. were like reuniting and yes. going on tour. So Wilson Phillips would come out of the studio, and Liz and Lee and Dolan would go in, and we didn't do. We had to sing, people. We had to sing scales. It was a singing class, and then and then he would work on some of our inflections mm-hmm. and our vocal tics and everything. But we had to sing warm-ups with pianos, which I am not going to do. Because it was more about how to use our instrument, Susan. It was like how singers really think about opening their diaphragms, protecting their throats, using, remember, your middle voice versus your head voice? Yes. So we would go on for many minutes just going, ga, 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 I kid you not. Yeah. That's what we did. That was our entire training. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like, you know. We, but he's coach, voice coach to the stars. Yes, he is. He started doing this. So it was it was nutty. So we did have some training. Some days we forget it. I hear when I go into a verbal tick or when Liz, I like Liz talks so fast. Sometimes she cuts herself off. Yes. She just, your brain is moving so fast. She boom, moves to the next topic when she just Doesn't... even finished that actual sentence. But mm-hmm. boom, it's gone. But thank you. Thank okay. you for the nice comments. We're going to wrap up this segment, though, with the funniest question. We all three of us read this from Kathleen and thought, oh, my God, we have to tackle this one. So how do your brother's husband children handle life in the limelight of being related to the Satellite Sisters? Do any of them have funny stories of someone making the connection they are related to the Satellite Sisters? So, Leon, you go first. Life in the limelight. How's it working for you? I would always say, like, I live in Los Angeles, so on the list of limelighters, (laughs) you know, people who podcast from their closet, pretty low. It's pretty low. Jay-Z, Beyonce, top. (laughs) Leon Dolan bottom, um, but and but particularly uh, my my husband has there have been a couple of moments for my husband. We have different last names. I use my maiden name. He has a completely different last name, as do my children. So he has a couple of times. People have said to him at work, wait, are you the Barrick that one of the Satellite Sisters talks about? Because how many could there be? Right. He has such an unusual first name. But in general, they don't care. They, uh, my, I would say my family not caring that much. You know, occasionally Barrick listens to the show. We said, but I don't really want to hear some of the things you might say about me. Okay. But, you know, every once in a while there is a moment when, you know, I get mm. recognized or people will ask me about it. And I think they have fun with it, but there's... There's no reverence. <laughs> There's no, no limelight. There's, There's not no even limelight. much respect. No. Julie, how about right. in your family? Well, you know, I'm in the dark here in my closet and stuff. But I would have to say my family is very supportive of yes. it. Uh, you know, and they li- they have come to some of like the bigger events when we've actually won Gracie Gracie Awards. It was very nice to have my husband there or my sons have, have come or my one of my sons has been there. So 
that's been exciting. But no, I, I mean, that this is just the, my secret life that I do, even though my husband is like my number one fan. He's mm-hmm. always telling people about the show. He's say, forcing people to listen to uh, Satellite Sisters, people that have no business listening to Satellite Sisters. But, you know, he's he's hounding them to listen to it. So, And I would just end with this, Kathleen. Back in the day, we used to occasionally have our brothers on. And then we realized we don't need them. No, we don't. Yeah. We do. We do have three brothers. People asked about that. The birth order in our family is two boys, Jim and Dick. Then Julie, me, Sheila, Monica, our brother Brendan, and Leanne. So you know, so those the five girls are sort of scattered around in there. And you know, and originally when we started the public radio show, we would have another member of our family do the credits, and then. That did not work out. Yeah, our, fa- our father did it a couple weeks in a row, and it just kept getting longer and longer because he thought he was like Sir John Gilgood. <laughs> so we had to fire our father, and we thought, well, that's it. That's the end of that. <laughs> well, Mom just- was on once. She was terrible, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, we are back. Here's what we're going to do in this segment. You all had some questions that were specific to each of us, so we're each going to do a five-minute lightning round where we just jam through answering as many of the questions you had for us as we can. So I'm going to go first. Uh, Debbie's question. Liz has had many high-profile jobs. What made her decide it was time to leave them to do something else? And it's true, Debbie. I've had a career that is sort of in and out of big corporate jobs. I have quit two very high-profile jobs in my life just to go do something that I thought would be more creatively satisfying for me. And the what made me decide... I don't know. There was a my friend Rosemary would always say to me when I would ask her advice, this is what you need your satellite sister to say. She would say, so what's the worst that could happen? And you would think, yeah, I could leave this job, go try something. And if it doesn't work, what's the worst that could happen? I could just get a job again. So I I have noticed that my job is my my life has gone in like 10 year cycles where I'll be kind of in and out of things. Uh, But that's how I decided. And the Tara, you specifically asked why I left Oprah's network. And that was a job that was very interesting to me. We were just starting the network, the Oprah Winfrey Network. And I really, really enjoyed working for and with Oprah, which I think is what everyone wants to know. And she was great. But they were just having a really hard time getting the network actually launched. And, you know, I was there for a couple of years and I I did just get frustrated that we were having this sort of Groundhog Day um, (laughs) aspect to how we were going to get the thing actually on the air. So that's when I left and went to National Geographic, which was kind of similar in a way because they were both brands that I really, really believed in and things that I thought there were important things to say in the world from both Oprah and from National Geographic. So that's why I did that. Um, Barry asked, will I ever return to the corporate world? No. Uh, you know, or I think, (laughs) I know. Wait, what? I think that's, I think that's very unlikely. And, uh, and the, the second half of that is what do you love and hate about your current work structure? Okay. First, I actually like working in big corporations too. I never, I never left a big corporate job because I hated working for the man or anything. Because I was the man, yeah. You know, especially <laughs> in the second half of the career of my career, I was usually the boss or a boss in a some kind of hierarchy. Uh, so there are times where you feel like you're just in a kind of a 
big organization where you have a lot of resources and you have the ability to do things in a big global way. And I liked that. And then at a certain point, it would kind of get to me like, eh, too big, too much, too many levers of power that I'm pulling here. I'd rather just go do my own thing. So what I loved about that work structure is that you have resources, you have people. And my favorite thing, especially in my last job with National Geographic, is just so much fun working with people all over the world uh, on such an interesting brand and such interesting topics. But I was just ready to recommit myself to podcasting. When I came back to Satellite Sisters, I really knew that I had the time to make this much more of a creative outlet for me personally. And that's why I did that. And then one last thing, Catherine had a question about, um, was the key mystery ever solved. I told the story of my <laughs> little bungalow in Bend at oh, Thanksgiving yeah. where there was a key in the door and right. then there wasn't a key in the door. Did we ever figure out what happened there? No, Catherine, we did not figure that out. I have my theories about who had the copy of a key to my house and who might be using it for their own not very nefarious purposes. But I solved the problem by just rekeying the house, Catherine. So all good. Anyway, so that's my quick lightning round of uh, questions to me. Julie, how about you? Okay, I'm up, and I am going to answer Julie's, Carol, and Judy's questions all at the same time, because Julie, Carol, and Judy wanted to know why I've lived all over the world, what was my favorite place to live, and where what's on my travel bucket list. So the reason that I have moved 14 times in my life is because I am married to someone who worked for a large energy company, and we kept getting transferred, uh, or he kept getting transferred, so we got transferred all over the place. And, uh, you know, it's led, I, I grew, we grew up in Connecticut, and I thought I would always live my life on the East Coast, and I have, you know, lived all over the world. So I've ended up with a very unexpected life that's been very valuable and rewarding, and I wouldn't have traded it for anything. So that's why we we keep moving around the world. We did, my husband had, a, was it was in international business, so he had a number of assignments overseas. We actually lived in Bangkok, Thailand for five years, and then we lived in Moscow, Russia for five years. But in But additionally, and in between, we traveled to a lot of other countries. So my favorite place really in the world, I would have to say, is Thailand. I loved living in Thailand. I loved living in Bangkok. I think the Thai culture is so interesting and appealing. I love the Thai people. You know, it's a, you know Bangkok is a big, hot, dirty city, and it takes a while to get used to it. But there is just something about uh, that country and the people. It pulls me back. Always in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about, can I go back to Thailand? I've had a chance to go back one time since we lived there full time. But I hope, again, that I will have another occasion to go back to visit that beautiful country with those beautiful people. Um, but on my bucket list of places in the world that I, you know, I want to go that I have not visited yet would be India. Uh, I haven't been there. Uh, my husband is not enthusiastic about uh, going to <laughs> India. Uh, but fortunately, I have a satellite sister friend who I've taken a lot of adventure trips to, uh, to Uzbekistan. We went to Iraq together. We went to Peru together. And of course, we went to North Korea together. So I'm hoping, and she has been to India 15 times. So I'm hoping that I can convince her somewhere down the road uh, that we take a trip to India. I do want to 
address Judy's question because she has she wanted to know why I spent months in North Korea. I did not. I only was there five days. It seemed like five years, Judy. <laughs> it is really the worst place on earth. It continues to be that way. I went as part of a tour, um, but that is all that you would ever, ever want to spend. And now, I, you know, I wouldn't recommend going there. Uh, so um, I think that covers most of the grounds that Julie, Carol, Carol and Judy were asking about. Leanne? All right. I had a lot of questions on my book and my writing and then a couple on speaking. They came from Marlene and Debbie and another Debbie. We have a lot of satellite sisters named Debbie. I don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> there must era be a year Debbies. when all the Debbies were born. Um, but OK, my next book, I don't have any news I can officially announce yet. But I have news that I will have news. And that's what I would say. <laughs> okay, stay, stay tuned good, for our fall show and we'll let you know about that. Um, that's uh, exciting. It's a, Sure, it's exciting. Yes, it's exciting. I don't, you know, I'm a, Liz, I like to. We're not going to jinx anything Don't here. jinx, just, nope. yeah. So anyway, it's, I have, it's completed. I have written it. It's an art history mystery that starts in Pasadena and moves to Paris and, that's about all I'm going to say about it right now, but uh, it's a completed manuscript, and then I have an, I'm have i working on another one, and I will have news on that news in September, is my guess. <laughs> okay. um, but one Debbie wanted to know if I had advice for new writers, young writers, and my advice would be um, to take a class. I'm a big believer in just taking a class anyway. It forces you to do the work, to show up, especially if you pay money. Don't take a free class because you'll never go and you'll never write. But I would say if you're serious about your writing or any creative endeavor or even thinking about it, you know, get yourself enrolled at a class either online or at a community college or, you know, a lot of colleges now have a separate creative writing, you know, programs that you can, as a non-matriculated student, you can join. And that is the best way to do it because you absolutely need to write on a regular basis. You need to have people read your work on a regular basis, critique your work, and then you need to be able to respond to those critiques. So whenever I'm asked about how do you get an agent or how do you do this or how do you get a book published, it really starts with the material. You get an agent by writing a great book. You get a book published by writing a great book. And how do you do that? You work on your writing. And I would say the best way to do that is through a class. Mm -hmm. So most, most people I know will say, oh, I'm afraid to show my work. Well, then you're just, you're never going to move. being a writer is probably you're not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're never going to move off that first page if you're terrified to show your work to people. And being in a class gets you over that really soon. And you'll realize that that's the best way to get better. And so, your groups were online, right? I took a two combo? classes online. Online, uh, yeah. Uh, so that, uh, where I took it is no longer uh, offering classes like that anymore. Yeah. It's just too bad. But again, you could take a UCLA writer's class online. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a lot of great institutions that have online classes now, and that's a perfectly legitimate way to take a class. You know, and make sure, again, that it costs you money, because that way you will... <laughs> You will do it. You Good will actually plan. turn the work in. So uh, so thank you for all the queries about my book. Believe me, if I have new, when I have news to share, I will happily share it. All right, then we got a question from another Debbie about um, when are you coming to the Midwest? And then people wanted to know about this city and that city, Wichita, Detroit. Okay, here's how we work these, you know, speaking engagements. When we show up at places and say, like, meet us at a bar in Portland, it's usually because someone has hired us to come speak there. They paid for our travel. 
we do a, a corporate event or something like that, a real book signing, and then we do these meetups. So we don't just go out on tour like, hey, let's get in a car and drive around the Midwest. That's not financially possible for us. Um, so if you would love us to come to your city, the best way to do it is to figure out how you can get us there. Maybe right. you're saying, right? I mean, yeah, if how, you work for a corporation yes. that hires speakers Maybe you for belong, belong to an organization that's looking for a speaker. Uh, you know, this is something that we do all the time. Yeah, a lot of cities have, you know, speaking, regular speaking, um, speaking things that the town puts on. You know, those are all Series. Speaker yeah. series. Speak, thank you, Liz. Speaker series. <laughs> Doing a lot of talking today. So those are all ways to get us there. We just do not have the resources to get in a mm-hmm. plane, travel to places, meet you <laughs> as much as, much as we would love to, as much as we would love to. It's not a lack of interest, but it is at some point, you know, we just, we need somebody to foot the bill for the travel and a few other things. And then we'd love to meet you for a beer afterwards. So, <laughs> or, or a cup of coffee or, or whatever it is. If you have any questions about speaking, you can go to SatelliteSisters.com. There's a page work with us and it has all the requirements for what we need to know, what you would need to tell us about your speaking gig. Mm-hmm. But that's usually how that works. I think the next thing we have scheduled is Dallas. Uh, Julie has set up yes. a gig. Uh, you're, and- you're, coming, uh, you're coming in February. Yes. Uh, a women's group asked you to speak. And so all three of us will be in Dallas, February 2019. Woo. So that's, that's the next thing actually on our calendar that's planned. So that's, that's okay. how those work. So All right. we would love to come to Wichita if Wichita would love to have us. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anything else you want to add, Leanne, that no. you're done? No, okay. I'm done. So we're going to wrap up with, oh, we had a very funny question from Julia that we thought would be a good way. To, this is the big finish, Julia. Thank you. Her question is, what is each sister's secret or hidden talent? So, uh, Julie, what's your secret or hidden talent? Packing and moving. I can pack <laughs> anyone up and move them out of a house in a day, a week. Uh, you can move. You can move to a different country. Uh, I am excellent at that. Okay, I like it, Leon. I can put together IKEA furniture. <laughs> uh, I am very patient with that. I follow mm-hmm. the directions. I go from A to B to C to D. I don't have any extra parts, and it all looks good at the end. Same with hooking up like stereo or computer components or televisions. I can do all of that because I read and follow the directions <laughs> that are provided. Oh, with, I know. I that's know. how it works. That's how it works. It takes hours, but that's how it works. Liz, how about you? Parking, I think, is really my number one skill. I would like to thank Mr. Kugler, who was my... <laughs> <laughs> My driver's ed teacher when I was 16 in Connecticut. I am really good at parking, especially parallel parking. And Yes, mi- you are, yes. sister. Yes, you are. And Mr. Kugler, besides being my um, driver's ed teacher, was also my geometry teacher. Oh, wow. So I think that's why he was so good at explaining parallel parking, because it's really just geometry. Yes. And no, like, it I, totally is. Yes, and it could totally sink in. But as you know, even in my building, my parking is a super narrow space, hard to get in and out of. It's not parallel parking, but it's narrow. So I like to think that, you know, parking, I could I could park for a living if I needed to. If I needed to find <laughs> another way to pay the bills, valet parking here in L.A. is a perfectly legitimate way to uh, to support yourself. So yeah. there you go. That's me. Well, I just, Brooks said when he valeted, when it was super tight, when, this one thing you think about if you're going to go into valet parking, sometimes they had to climb out the sunroof. 
So that I have maybe because oh, 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 they were so tight. Because they were so tight. So that's that, okay. that's so just FYI, Liz. <laughs> Sunroof. They'd leave the sunroof open and climb in and out of the sun. I just what's feel like I would damage happen, the car. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, what's the worst that could happen? Exactly. Could, like, totally dent the car. <laughs> like, yeah. if you get on the hood of the car, yeah. boom. Okay. Yeah. I'm just saying. So, uh, all just right. stick with your own personal parallel parking. That's <laughs> yeah. what I'm guessing. Well, this was fun. This was fun. This was wow, fun. Great questions, everybody. Thank you for sending those. Yeah. yeah. I learned a lot about Julie. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> me too. Well, I took the assignment seriously. <laughs> and I provided deep and soulful answers. Okay. <laughs> I feel like maybe I'm an open book. I need to cultivate some, yeah. you know, some private practices that I only have some revealed. surprises for us. <laughs> And remember, we do have two other shows where we spill a lot of secrets from our personal lives uh, posted at SatelliteSisters.com. So give those a listen if we, if there's a specific issue that we didn't get to on today's show. So, Leanne, you are going to wrap this yeah, up, Yeah, right? we would like to thank our sponsors, Beachbody, Third Love, Nectar, and ZipRecruiter. Thanks so much for supporting Satellite Sisters. We appreciate it. We'd like to thank everyone at the Wondery Sunset Studios, including our engineer, Sergio Enriquez. And, hey, sisters, we will be back in September after Labor Day. Can't wait. All Can't right. Wait. Very Let's excited to come back. Let's do it. We're Season the- whatever, 187. <laughs> <laughs> We're just going to keep putting it out there. Please keep listening. <laughs> We're the Satellite Sisters. Don't forget, call your Satellite Sisters.